I'm Dean Deal. And I'm Steve Hoskins. And you're listening to This is the Good Life, a podcast devoted to deciphering what it means to live as a Christian in this day and age. And not just a Christian, but as philosophers, theologians, and maybe even decent golfers. And a marketing guy. Yeah, used to be a marketing guy. Yeah, so speak for yourself. As two longtime college professors, we share a common goal to bring virtue and character back into the conversation of what it means to be Christian. We'll do this by unpacking the thoughts of both our current culture and prominent philosophers like Aristotle, Kant, Descartes, and a guy called Jesus Christ. You'll find that some pretty old thinkers had some pretty good ideas. So join us for a conversation worth having about life worth living. After all, this is The Good Life. Welcome to This is the Good Life, and in this episode, it's a special episode, Steve, because we're joined by Dan Boone, president of Trevecca Nazarene University. It is a joy and an honor to have him on our podcast. And we're hoping that it will bring some listeners. That's what we're really hoping. (laughs) It was a joy and an honor that we hope really, really helps us out. Exactly, because he's got friends and we don't. (laughs) So we're going to be talking about the idea of authenticity, the I gotta be me, the idea that the greatest... Now we have to pay a royalty. So okay, we can't do you that. You can't do that. I think we were under 30 seconds. I think we'll be okay. Good. But the idea that that the greatest good is to be true to yourself and to be the person that you are authentically. And how that shows up all over the history of philosophy. It's in ancient texts. It's in modern commercials. Hey, I just got to be me. I got to do it my way. That's exactly right. So let's jump in. This particular one has to deal with the the concept of the I gotta be me, what N.T. Wright refers to as authenticity. And I, I even, you know, one of my favorite, it's a, I looked it up. It was a Sammy Davis Jr. song, the I gotta be me. It's from a musical. And then he yeah. did the radio version of it. And there's this line in it that's so revealing because it goes, I gotta be me, I gotta be me. And then it says, what else could I be but me? And I'm like, all right, that question, Yeah, that's best part of the song yeah mm. and so i guess the idea the, the thought we hear it so much particularly with our young people right now that being true to yourself being true to who you are somehow is this elevated concept oh i don't think it's just the elevated concept i think for so many people that's the goal that's right that is exactly what authenticity is and there's no need to talk about growth. There's no need to talk about achievement. There's no need to talk about responding to different things or new things. And then something hits. Yeah, In, in a way, I, I think it's a romantic ah, idea. Yeah, Sammy Davis Jr., I Gotta Be Me, uh, Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. Really, the Rat Pack kind of, they became the embodiment in past years of what it looked like for three guys to just do life the way they wanted to. Uh, no questions, no boundaries, no anything. Just yeah. you know, nothing to hold you back. Nothing to hold me back. Let's mm. let's just be who we are. And that music, I think it actually tapped into the John Wayne, independent, self-made. Yeah. You know, gotta pull, be me. Kind pull yourself of, um, up by your bootstraps. Theology. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can do this on your own. Yeah. I think that when we you know start to look at this as an idea, then it begins to take shape in ways that you know, ought to cause all of us to start asking questions when you think about that concept theologically and you realize that as Christians, we all believe people were born not just in sin, but sinful and bent to sinning. 
you know, that if if we're going to be true to ourselves, that's a really problematic way. Oh, but but Steve, we don't want anybody to feel bad. Yeah. Well, there's always I mean, that's that. A, no, I'm being serious. It's yeah. like right now, the worst thing you can do is make another person feel bad. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> that's part of what it means to confront things, to be thoughtful, to be philosophical. And maybe the easier way into it is to talk about people like John Wayne or to talk about people who are good at or seemingly just natural at being themselves and think that that will somehow elevate people to want to be the good guy, you know, or the star. But I don't think that's the way this philosophy works itself out. It, the when, when you look at the epitome of Rat Pack kind of guys, stars, all of that, I think you, you find that sense that our society that is enamored with stardom, in a sense, believes that is the pinnacle of human existence. That is the good life. These yeah. are people who have, who have fully achieved the good life in every way. But if you look at human history, I mean, down through the years, with a theology of, <laughs> of sin and engaged in it, yeah. for me to do what comes naturally to me is definitely a recipe for disaster yeah. because you know human history is the story of people who did that and that story of a self-absorbed aim at life is a story of human manipulation and actually human enslavement it basically is setting up our own little kingdoms as little gods and wanting to manipulate everything around us to function in the way that I want it to, because I've got to be me. I've, you know, I need to do it my way, and I'm not authentic if I don't. That yeah. that's where I think the seductive lie is that the only picture of human authenticity is when I have done what comes most natural to me. Now we've got some problems though when we talk about sin. Dean, you were right. Quite often, Christians talk about sin in ways that just make people feel bad. It sounds judgmental. It's derogatory in every way. To, to hold a really high view of human capacity as those who are made in the image and likeness of God, while at the same time we hold a strong view of human depravity, uh, the whole self-centeredness, uh, love turned in on ourself, to hold those two hand in hand is a necessary wholeness. One without the other in either direction begins to either sound religiously judgmental and anti-human, or it begins to sound like, well, there's no problem from just following your human instincts and desires because you're made with such great capacity by God. You know, how can you go wrong doing what is naturally born and bent into you? So I think both of these are necessary yeah. to have. Well, and when you start reading, for instance, Scripture, or you look at some of these stories out of church history, what's really interesting to me, uh, I, was, I had to teach Genesis 3 mm -hmm. to uh, a senior adult Sunday school class this past Sunday, filled with former Nazarene general superintendents and, you know, our theology teacher, H. Ray Donning. And may his name ever be praised. May his name ever be praised. And you I mean, and I, there is some yeah, sort of a phrase that had yeah, to come after It you really say. is, because we're all still afraid of him. He's only 95. And uh, Thank you, sir. May I have another? Yeah, that's exactly right. 
And um, there's this really interesting line that, you know, in a great, in a chapter filled with great lines, you know, what have you done? God asks them, what have you done? You hear this line, but then you get to the end, near the end of the chapter and, you know, God says, well, here are the results. Here's, here's what's getting ready to happen. Here's the consequences of sin. And after he talks about all the consequences of pain and toil and work, it says, and God helped them make their clothes. Hmm. And, you know, we just push past that. Yeah. If you, if you connect that to, say, the, the instructions of Jesus in Matthew 28, at the end, you know, and Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven, and he says, all power and authority of heaven and on earth is given unto me. He says, go ye therefore and make disciples. And then he says this, he says, and I will be with you wherever you yeah. go, whatever the assignment is. And I think that part of the importance of understanding how— philosophy works in a thoughtful Christian life is to be able to do what you just described, to hold two very powerful, at times opposing ideas together in the same reality, and to live and think and care for others and do your work in light of all of that at the same time, because no matter how good the day and no matter how high the achievement temptation may come. And, you know, we have to be ready to think of ourselves so that we don't just give in to the to, to a bad idea, but that we recognize, okay, if I'm going to be the person that I have been created to be, I've got to live to a standard other than I've just got to be me. Life is a tension. I think it's lived between almost like a guitar string, you know, it's anchored on one end and then it's embedded in the other end. And you can tighten that thing and play all kind of melodies on it. And our life is lived in the middle of a tension between what we are capable of being as creatures made in the image and likeness of God and the impact and the power of a sinful self-centeredness that if we let ourselves go, we always sink in that direction, doing what I want regardless of what everyone else wants. Life is somewhere in the middle of that tension. I think it was Fred Craddock that said one time, you can't play a tune on a limp fiddle string. Um, <laughs> Sounds like Fred Craddock. And that whole sense of both of these are required, deep awareness of what I'm negatively capable of and what I'm positively capable of by the grace of God. And you know the freedom that we have as people is that we can move either way in in that tension yeah. and recognize the highest capability or the lowest capability uh, that humans are made with see yeah. and if you if if life is built around avoiding pain if life is built around avoiding guilt if life is built on i don't want anything to tell me what to do and i end up measuring myself against myself yeah yeah then I am doomed to never be bigger than myself. And I've got to tell you, I'm sure this is true for a lot of you too, is the biggest bonehead things I've ever done in my life is when I'm being truest to who I am. <laughs> I mean, it's like I look at every bad decision and I was like, all right, you want to know what being true to me is? It's that big bonehead decision that I made that messed my life up because I wasn't listening to anybody else but me. And Dan, you've walked me through a couple of those bonehead decisions. <laughs> and that was me following me. And if there's not something better for me to measure myself, I just, I'll just say, speaking for myself, 
If there's not something for me to measure myself more than me, I'm going to be pretty unhappy. Unless you have a standard, how do you actually define authenticity? That's it. You know, it's funny because I wear Levi's a lot. And on the, don't ask me why I know this, but on I, the inside lining. I, I don't of, always like people who are skinny enough to still wear Levi's. <laughs> so on the inside of your Levi's, on the pocket, there's a, they print this and they still do it. And it says, this is an authentic pair of oh, wow. Levi's jeans. Wow. So what does that say about the word authentic? You know, it, it's like, well, we don't want these jeans to feel bad by comparing them to <laughs> Levi's. So can we just drop that? You see what I mean? It's like yeah. we, we're yeah. looking for a basis. And I, I really, this is so much in my mind about guilt avoidance and pain avoidance. Yeah. But there's also, see, for me, there's also, it doesn't have to be just running away from something. And maybe what we need to be doing, particularly within the church, is creating a compelling vision of a life that's worth running towards yeah. rather yeah. than telling people to run away from something. Yeah. I mean, your pair of Levi's that you're wearing certainly is not authentic because you're wearing them. <laughs> well, it's a matter of opinion. It, there, there's a... <laughs> There, there is a standard of Levi that they That's right. fit, yeah. and as the standard of Levi is applied, this pair of jeans meets that. And I think the same thing is true of what it means for us to be made in the image and likeness of God, that there is a standard of what it means to be fully human that is only understood in the person of Jesus Christ— so that we have a standard to be running toward. We have a we have a blueprint for humanity in a flesh and blood Jesus that has come and has somehow not gravitated toward the I'll do it my way, but rather gravitated toward the may your will be done in me and taught us to pray that kingdom come that will be done. So there is this movement that humans are capable of in Christ as that becomes the primary aim of our life. I really love how N.T. Wright has talked about humans being capable of being rulers and priests. And on the ruler's side, we're capable of bringing the reign of God. In other words, doing God's will. We're capable of bringing that into the space around us as we submit ourselves to God and live the way of Jesus. So we establish sort of the reign of God. And by rulers, I'm not talking about being boss of the space or arrogant about it or my way. I'm talking about we we bring a willful creation of the presence of God being respected, the name of God being hallowed, the way of Jesus being followed. We bring that into the space around our life, and we become capable of this. Then he says, we're not only rulers, but we're priests, that even as we're in the process of doing that, we offer, as priests do, our ultimate worship back to God. Our life becomes something of a sacrifice and an act of humble worship in the direction of God. If our lives are lived with that aim, then like Levi, there is a standard of humanity that we are pursuing and that we are made capable of by God. What a phenomenal gift Mm. that we're even capable of that. 
But we do that in a way that's moving away from <laughs> my boneheaded self and my way or the highway and, and mm-hmm. all, of those, all of those kinds of things. Forgive the, lo- the long speech here. I think there is something, though, that is positive in people who say, I want to authentically be who I am. I, I think there's a part of that, that that what they're saying is, I do not in this moment feel comfortable in my own skin. The gods that I've bowed to, none of them have brought me to an internal cohesion and peace about who I am. And now they're turning to that sense of, because all of the other things I tried didn't work, I'm going to try to just follow my own way and do what I think is best because I've tried A, B, C, and D, and none of those worked. Even the statement, I got to be me, I think is kind of a cry or a prayer of a human being who is trying to be at home in their humanity, and they've not been able to find that anywhere else. So the last place they look is inward. Maybe it's in me, and I didn't know that. And there's a stream, I mean, there's a stream of spirituality and theology out there today that are basically saying that we're all each a little God, and there is divinity put inside of us. But I still believe, apart from that external standard of God in Christ and that picture of humanity that we get there, we're only in an echo chamber and we're talking to ourselves about what authenticity means. If, if all the phrase, I got to be me, means is me, yeah, we're in real trouble. Yeah. But if the me that I am is only me as a creature of God in relation to God, you know, with real clear instructions, not only to worship and rule, but the ethics of worship and rule are to care yes. for all the yes. creations. And I don't do that as I see fit or according to the instincts of my person, but I have to do all that as God commands. You know, I don't get to care for somebody in the way that I think they deserve. I have to care for them not only in the way God thinks they deserve, but in the way that God has been gracious to me. And God's grace means God is always better to us than we deserve. And you read into that, you know, say, we could talk so much here about, say, for instance, uh, the great lines in Irenaeus against the heretics where, you know, he's writing in 180 and he's he's dealing with this idea of really messed up ways of thinking about Christianity that are emerging. People who are picking up parts of the gospel, maybe not all the gospel, combining it with other uh, religions or other philosophies. And he gets to this point about the way that you know the true faith. And he begins to talk about Jesus. He uh, does, you know, that great move for historians where he traces the history of the people of God all the way back into the Old Testament. You know, just like when you see the names of Adam and Eve in these genealogies of Jesus, you know, it's really, really great stuff. And then he says, but the point of all this is to save us and we can't save ourselves. And he became what we are so that we might become like he is. And with that in mind, a cry from someone whose heart is, I've got to make a decision, yeah. you know, I've, I, or I want to live a better life, and I've got to be me. Well, there's maybe more hope there, but boy, that's really nuanced. <laughs> it's really complex, and it takes a lot of dependence on the guidance of the Holy Spirit and God's you know, working in a person's life. 
Steve, I, I love that. The, the line, I got to be me if it's only about me, how does that get me to my humanity? I mean, am I the only one that has the ability to say that's authentic? Yeah. So then authenticity becomes basically a self-standard that I create and apply to myself as I want to. There is nothing objective about it. You think of how we're created. You know, early on in our story, God says it's not good for the man to be alone. We were Mm -hmm. never created for this kind of isolation that's there. And our story so rapidly moves to a people of God and a covenanted people. The the essence of their humanity was that they belonged to a historic group of people, to a tribe, to a family. And the church becomes that even that people of God that we belong to one another. And the very idea that I can stand in the middle of the people of God and say, I got to be me. Everybody's looking back at us saying, we thought you were us. That's right. <laughs> you know, we we thought that this baptism was a baptism into a people, yeah. that this uh, discipleship was the following of a particular way of a people. So I, when I find myself dealing with people who are, uh, and especially the college generation that we see now, that for them, it's almost a sin not to do what comes naturally right. to them because it yeah. feels yep. inauthentic. To be able to start where they are, not with a strong critique about that, but to say, I think you're recognizing a longing inside yourself. But let me tell you, to narrow your circle to yourself is a recipe for disaster. You're on yeah. the way toward a deep and profound loneliness. I think there's I think there's two things about what we're talking about that are almost anathema to the modern mind. And the first one is the call to Christ is a call to a community. It would yeah. be so much better if it could just be me and Jesus and I can interpret that. However, I, I don't need the Bible. I don't need the church. I can have my own experience with Jesus and interpret that. And then I can be me but he calls us into a community. And the second thing is that community has a history. And man, I would love to just rewrite that history, but I can't. (laughs) It's messy. Yeah, to be invited into a community that has a history flies in the face of, I got to be me. And and that view of, of salvation, thinking about that intellectually and philosophically, means that, and and maybe this is one of the greatest lies that we hear in culture these days and our I know just not just our college students but I have friends my age who are still looking for that perfect version of them and at 58 it's beginning to get a little desperate yeah uh, you know the, yeah. the you know you can look up at a billboard and you can get new hair and be 20 years younger uh, I, I pass it every day as I get off now, the, now the he's getting pers- now he's yeah, getting personal now I'm saying that you know but says he, the one guy yeah, with, the, the, full head with of hair. the full head of hair in the room yeah. But, but you know, they hear this sermon, God says, I love you just the way you are, you're perfect, don't ever change. And there is nothing in the story, there is nothing in the history of who we are as creatures of God that speaks that way. You know, yeah. transformation, living into the fullness of life, not just as myself, but as myself with others, who I am as a part of a holy people. And that's not just universal, it's wonderfully local, you know, because when a student comes to Treveca, they become a part of us, and they become a part of our story, 
And I get to tell them when I was a little boy, my parents brought me here against my will. I've been struggling to get out for 56 years, and God has not yet relented. And a man named T.E. Jones was my pastor uh, in a building that's now some apartments where my daughter lives, actually, on our campus, on the right side of Jesus. And don't you always want to be on the right side of Jesus? And in, in that church, he took me in his arms, and he poured water on my head, and he told me I was loved and cared for, and that I had a a people called Christian and a name called Nazarene and a home called Treveca, and that I was a part of this story now. And I can remember vividly as I've gone through life, I show up at seminary and I go to my first class and there's Paul Bassett. You don't talk about being looked in the face and, mm, you know, oh yeah, I taught at Treveca. I remember you, you were one of those little boys always jumping up and down. I was up in the choir and you were jumping up. You were always in trouble. Thank you, Dr. Bassett. God bless you for remembering that. But, you know, to be a part of that, it makes me aware that the me that I am is not just me. It's a work of God. It's transforming me into what the image of Jesus is and into God's workings in this world. And in that, there is a more interesting, something greater than my base instincts or my first thoughts. And I have to live into that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And follow God. It's the same deal with the students on a, on the campus that say to us, I have a religious conviction against wearing a mask. And oh, yeah. because this is a religious community, you should not ask me to wear a mask because I've got a conviction against it. And I've got to be true to what I believe. That's it. You Boy, know, that I, is such a good example. Uh, and uh, I, I love the way that you have again and again on this campus placed our ethical decisions and our moral decisions as a campus within the context of community. Community. If we're going to live together, there are some things. And I remember being a young kid and being taught, I mean, I was old school Nazarene, no movies, no dances, no this, no, it was all just a list of no's. And then finally someone said, all right, imagine a group of people got together and said, we're going to raise our kids together. But they can't come to my house, and I have certain rules, and then my kids go to your house, and there's different rules, because now it all starts to unravel. Can we agree on how we're going to raise our kids? Yeah. And that's how you end up with a a manual of the Church of the Nazarene. That's how you end up with, as a college president, I commend you for your bravery on some of these things. Well, and and Wesley, you know, when he faces the same thing because the Methodists in Bristol want one set of rules and the Methodists in Manchester want to be more holy, you know, and so they they make stricter rules and they all come to Wesley. Then they have a yearly conference, you know, so that they can sit down and ask their questions and have these discussions. And and Wesley, you know, is listening to all this. And well, who's more holy? You know, it's like in the New Testament, who's more holy? Yeah. You know, me or my brother or my sister. And Wesley says, No, 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 you've missed the point. The point is to watch over one another in love. There you go. Yeah. And to to live as Methodists yeah. faithfully in your agreements with one another. I feel like we we've made a switch here. We start talking about I gotta be me. And it starts to wander into spiritual formation. And I, ha- I had a buddy one time. We were all, it sounds like a bad joke. There was a, a Nazarene, a Baptist, a Presbyterian, and a, a non-denomination guy riding in through Chicago on the way to the airport. And we started talking about, okay, we come from all these different backgrounds. And what are the things we can agree on? And one of the guys says, well, we, we all have the Apostles' Creed. And one of the guys in the car says, you know what? We say the Apostles' Creed at church every Sunday, and I leave out the parts I don't believe, 
And I believe God respects that because I'm being true. That's exactly <laughs> true what we myself. all did. That's what we all did. We started <laughs> laughing. He goes, what are y'all laughing at? I'm like, what if you don't say it because you believe it? What if you say it to believe it? And now you've left out all the parts God's still trying to work on. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah. The, the I got to be me has yeah. the church the, the, the authority of the church, we do not speak well, as one voice. Get a get a Baptist, a Presbyterian, a Nazarene, and a non-denominational person in a car together, and you find out quickly, we do not speak yeah. with one voice as and a the, church. And the way you tell that story is so great because it reminds us that the arbiter in these matters of ethics is not me. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the, the arbiter in the matters of faith are God. And, you know, when we come to making community decisions, the arbiter has to be the community. Yeah. what's best for all of us, and how we watch over one another in love, to use Wesley's terms. Because I feel like we've created a, a salad bar of theological ideas. Instead of, here's a Caesar salad, and the chef has prepared this wonderful dish for you, and you may not like anchovies, but give it a try. Taste <laughs> it. Instead, we would rather go to the salad. I don't want you making my salad. I might not like it. I'm going to make my own salad, and I'm going to take this, and I'm going to take that. And we've set up a world where a lot of our right. fellow believers are walking up to the salad bar of ideas and nobody's speaking to them with authority and saying, no, I the, the chef has prepared a salad for you. And if you will try it, they just want to go and they're going to build their own salad of beliefs. And being authentic means you chose what's on your plate. You know, the hard part of it in this current culture is that level of authenticity has now taken on a spirituality defense of yeah. sorts. Yeah. It's it's almost like I am being the highest level of Christian I can be. And it's really crazy to say how spiritual it is to be me, while at the same time what you're practically saying is, I'm not willing to live under any authority. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and those two cannot, they, they cannot coexist. They really can't. What's going to, where's the motivation to change when I make my own rules? Is that, where's progress when, when I get to determine what it's like playing basketball with your brother. That was a foul. It wasn't a foul. No, you hit me in the head. No, we decided earlier. That's not a foul. You know what I mean? We, we make the rules as we go. Yeah. And so I'm always good. I'm good because, and if I don't like, if I get, so sideways with the Church of Nazarene, there's 20 other churches I can choose from down the street. Yeah. They would love to have they you. They would love to and have roll me. Out the and red they'll carpet. Take, guess what? They will take me as I am. Just like I am. T-shirts and jeans. We should write a song. Just like I am without one, please. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except with we also have a with song. No authority over me. That's just fabulous. <laughs> yeah. You you watch that in every way, and it's the destruction of peoplehood. It's the destruction of communities, and it's the destruction of families. Ultimately, I even I even think sometimes, if I got to be me, if somebody's done that and they feel really good about it, what do they have to live for? Yeah. Why do they not just enshrine themselves at that moment and go on to glory because they've achieved some level of humanity that others haven't? I don't see the people who said, I got to be me, and they were, and I look at them and I think, boy, I really like the world that is taking shape around you. Yeah. I see them as those who, in their I got to be me, 
the rest of their agenda is now manipulating me to agree with them. Exactly. So that they can be themselves in a way. And <laughs> you and, gotta be me. Yeah. That's another yeah one. Now <laughs> I gotta be you. <laughs> so, yeah. When Jesus talks about the church and the people, I mean, it's uh, I'm the vine, you are the branches, yeah. the household of faith, a flock of sheep. All of the imagery that is used to talk about the gathered people of God, it's a corporate connected image in every way. And you, you don't find that, uh, that rabid individualism anywhere within those descriptions. And, uh, you know, e- even Jesus, if anybody is humanity perfected, it's Jesus. And yet he gets up early in the morning, goes out into the mountains to talk to the Father submitting his life to the Father, laying his will down to the Father. And then he comes back from the mountains and says, I've come to lay down my life for you. So there's this sense that even the most perfect of humans is the most connected of humans that we ever see. And peoplehood forms around him. And there are ways of life that get adopted and spread and taught. And I mean, here we are a couple thousand years later, and there are still gatherings of human beings that are pursuing their own humanity in the pattern and path of Jesus. Whereas you look at the gatherings of people who became individualist and they died with maybe a big tombstone and might be maybe even a chapter in history somewhere, but there are not ongoing groups of people around them because they did not foster thriving communities that replicated this life in this particular way, in the way that Jesus does. Yeah. There's a great illustration of what you're talking about. Um, my grandfather, who was a groundskeeper on this campus. Yes, he was. He was yes, a, he was. I knew him. But he's buried in the military cemetery there off Gallatin Road. And we drive by there every once in a while And I, when the, the girls were living with us. And you have this military cemetery where you see hundreds and hundreds of tombstones exactly the same, all the same size. They all were general next to the private. Yep. And then on the other side, right across the street is another cemetery with massive monuments next to tiny little, and it's got, some of them are so elaborate. You know, the family drained Mm. the the coffers to make this memorial to this person. And my girls are so trained at this point. When we drive through there, they say the same thing. Kingdom of God, kingdom of man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kingdom of God. That's beautiful. Of man. That's great. Because when you look at those two cemeteries, it is so such a strong visual. So clear. Of yeah. of what we really believe when we say we. Yeah. The the I gotta be me, if it really plays out, it almost denies that we are made as humans with relational need and mm-hmm. relational capacity. And we're denying something that is most profoundly human about ourselves. What I find is that people really want to belong. They, mm-hmm. they want to know they matter to someone else. But if I section or cordon my life off from that, I'm basically denying something that is so human about me. Will I ever get to the place where I even believe that I'm authentically human? Because I, I'm not living in the connections that I'm made to live in. I love the Genesis story where when God makes the woman and brings uh, brings her to Adam, he says, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, 
our own story says there is something about the connection between human beings that makes us human. And I got to be me almost flies in the face of that part of our deep mm-hmm. humanity. I even think about the word that's used for uh, co- the covenant relationship, the that Hebrew word kesed. Yeah. It primarily means what each of us has the right to expect of each other in light of promises that we've made to each other. Now, that's where the accountability for authenticity can be found, that in the communities to which we belong, are we living out the promises that we have made that actually formed and created that very community that is there? That's what lets me not be the sole judge of authenticity, but I'm willing to live into the promises that communities make to one another. And God has created that in in covenant with us, and the covenant communities of God have been very good about that. But the more we do the John Wayne spirituality of every man for himself, and it's just little old me trying to get on the bus to go to heaven someday, we totally forget that we are actually redeemed and created into communities. And it's when we live faithfully in that direction with that aim that we feel most authentic as human beings. I love that because it means we don't have to give up on authenticity. Right. Yeah. I am wearing an authentic pair of Levi's jeans. I could prove <laughs> you, it if you'd like. You are bragging so much today. <laughs> but but we don't have to give up. I went to a bank one time, and they were explaining how they find counterfeit dollars. Oh, yeah. And the way they define counterfeit dollars is not by having their tellers study all the different things people try to get away with. They show them the real thing. And they're like, you need to know what a dollar looks like. And here's what the real, they're comparing. And then when you see anything that deviates from yeah. this, it's not real. And That's I think good. that at the heart yeah. of this is when you're looking at your life to see if you are authentically human, what is the basis of that compare? What are you comparing yourself to? Right. Yeah. Because if I'm comparing myself to me, I, I think deep inside, the reason that we have so many people hurting in so many ways, we have so much anxiety, we have so much stress, is if the world is telling me I am the measure of my own life, right. I can't imagine anything that would create greater despair for me than to look in the mirror and go, I'm it. I, I am God at that yeah. point. Yeah. And so what we have to do, I think, as the, the church is we have to continue to show people an authentic life and not a fake life, but an authentic life as the body of Christ, which includes a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Dean, you, you described hell the way C.S. Lewis does. That's right. The <laughs> house is all spread to hell. Yeah, it's, it's a flat gray plane in which people are forever moving away from one another. And if authenticity is only me deciding me, then there is that sense that I'm separating further and further and further from other human beings who might also want the same power to declare their authenticity. We end up with a billion little self-rule kingdoms, and we have no thriving communities and families and belonging and acts of mercy and deeds of justice that are there. We, we don't have the richness of the fabric of a people that all of us long to belong to and live in the middle of. And we've got to be bigger than me. Mm-hmm. 
This is The Good Life is hosted by Dean Deal and Steve Hoskins. The show is brought to you by the Trevecca Nazarene University Alumni Association. Produced by Wise Company with help from Aaron Fairchild. To learn more or to donate to our show's mission, head over to trevecca.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.